happiness. It's something we all strive for. And yet, some of the most fundamental and powerful approaches to tapping our own source of happiness have been overlooked. That is, until now. I sat down to have a heart-to-heart discussion with Howard Martin, Executive Vice President of HeartMath, to learn about some of the latest breakthroughs in heart intelligence and intuition, and how the field of positive psychology is putting a whole new slant on how to truly live a happy life. Well, hello, everyone. We are here at the beautiful Kripalu Center for Yoga and Health for the Embodied Positive Psychology Summit put on by the Whole Being Institute. And I am here with my dear friend, whom I haven't seen for a couple of years now, and that is Howard Martin, the one and only Howard Martin from HeartMath, all the way from Northern California to our humble little town here in Stockbridge, Massachusetts. Welcome to Higher Journeys. I should say welcome back. Oh, thank you, Alexis. It's always a pleasure to be with you. So good to see you. It's been a while. Yeah. And and take an opportunity to have a conversation uh, while I'm here in this area, uh, speaking tonight in just a a couple hours. You will be. That's right. I'm glad to be with you right now and and talk about some things that mostly uh, we we think are cool. (laughs) We think are very cool. And folks, I I hope you've had a chance and opportunity to check out some equally cool conversations that we've had in the past, talking about the heart and all the great things that are going on, ever-evolving new mm-hmm. things that are happening with heart intelligence and uh, the intuit- intuitive capacity of the heart. And that's what I want to get into today. This is what you're going yeah. to be touching upon. But you're going to be touching upon it within the context of what is called positive psychology. Now, this is something that you just brought to my attention relatively, very recently, in fact, and I had not been aware of this uh, as a movement, something that's burgeoning. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I thought we'd first start talking about, uh, or defining for the audience uh, who may not know, what is positive psychology and why is it so big right now? Well, it's not my area of expertise. I'm a speaker here at this event, but let me tell you what I do know about it. It was started a number of years ago, probably goes back 10 or 15 years ago now, by academians. Mm-hmm. Martin Selgman, Barbara Fredrickson, these are university people that uh, were looking at mental health. And I think one of the core principles of what they were discovering was is that mental health tends to focus a lot of times on the problem, like digging into the problem, understanding the problem, solving the problems. And part of their belief was, is what if you focused on what makes people great, you know, mm-hmm. on what makes people exceptional? What are the qualities that, you know, that those kind of people have? And can we engender those qualities in the people who are struggling, who are having difficulty and challenges? Mm-hmm. So in other words, rather than focusing on the problem going in, trying to discover the history of the problem and that sort of an approach, which is still an appropriate, uh, you know, therapeutic uh, model for many types of conditions, Instead of doing that, however, in some conditions, focus on generating and activating the positive qualities that people have and in this sort of re-imprint that person with more of the positive psychological approach to how they lead their lives. Mm-hmm. So it's become big, it's become successful because it's an effective strategy in many ways for many of the mental illnesses that health professionals face. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's, it's, it's grown. There are organizations like Whole Being Institute. Right, uh, right. There's a conference like today that focuses on positive psychology. Uh, one of the icons of it, Barbara Fredrickson, will be here speaking tomorrow. So it's, uh, it's become something that's taking on more traction, more popularity, uh, especially with progressive mental health professionals. Yeah, well, uh, I think that's it. very encouraging. And I, I did do a little bit of digging into uh, t- how it's being 
presented and the fact that academia, you know, the American Psychological Association, I believe it was the former uh, head of the association that really felt, as you said, that rather than studying uh, mental health from a perspective of healing a problem, let's focus on the, the, very, the very things that help, uh, that, that make, the qualities that make an individual happy mm-hmm. versus focusing on the problem. So it's a subtle but profound shift in the approach that I think is, is really um, going to work out, which I, th- I think it's a good thing to be looking at it from that perspective. As a matter of fact, I found an individual who is known as a positive psychologist, and his name is Robert Biswas Diener. I hope I'm pronouncing that properly. And I'm going to quote him. He says, this is not about a self-help movement. It's not a trend or a passing fad, but a science about how to understand how and why people flourish. But what, you're, you're the heart intelligence guy, yeah. and the two are obviously very interrelated, and that's what I want to bring to bear in this regard. How would heart intelligence play a role, you think, in this whole movement of positive psychology on the, on the human being? Well, heart intelligence, that core intelligence that each and every one of us has, mm-hmm. to me is what gives rise to the type of emotional qualities that would be associated with success and happiness. You know, more love, more care, more appreciation, more kindness. They're to me all born from the heart's intelligence. Well, the heart's intelligence certainly gives us the impetus to experience those types of emotions and feelings. Those are the same types of emotions that positive psychology is trying to engender in people. Mm-hmm. Like you mentioned, what makes people happy? What, what are people, people like happy? when they're happy? You know, and it's heart plays a big role in that. Mm-hmm. What I believe is that when people are really in touch with their heart, with those qualities associated with heart, that's when they more naturally experience those feelings. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that's what, the, for many people, that's what makes life worth living. Absolutely. Is the experience of those kind of emotions and feelings at different times. Uh, life sometimes triggers them for us, you know, through an event, an experience, uh, a relationship, a compliment, uh, the beauty of nature in many ways that, that we experience those from time to time. I think what's important in these times is to recognize that we have the power to self-generate them. Absolutely. That, you know, we don't have to wait for the perfect sunset with the, with the person that means the most to us to feel a sense of well-being or an uplifting feeling inside ourselves, that we can create those. And that can be hard to understand in these times yeah. with the challenges that the world's facing. But within those challenges, there's also this resilient, magnificent spirit of humankind that's showing up. Yeah. And that's what I'm really uh, all about is how do we make that a regular uh, occurrence. Yeah, you've done that so well. And I, I'm glad, look, this is, this is all about being happy and keeping it positive. But we would be remiss if we did not bring up the, 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 the sad fact that we are being bombarded with with challenging times that's now become cliche and mm-hmm. and so I, it's no wonder that as, as far as the the positive psychology movement is concerned and, and summits like these are doing so well I think people are just so desperate to to li- to, to get outside to escape maybe I don't know if that's the right word but to escape the challenges and really just surround themselves with with these uh, these sorts of um, with this mindset of, of, of being happy I want to quote Diener again and I know that you said that you weren't too familiar with him, but maybe you mm-hmm. can kind of sure. look him up. I think he's kind of up and coming in the positive psychology uh, field. He says, uh, and this is interesting because I remember something that you said you, when you and I had uh, spoken about recalling past moments of happiness in order to put ourselves in a present state of happiness. He says, quote, up until today, your happiest days are behind you. I guarantee you. And I think that's what he's implying. He's saying that 
there is no way we can ensure uh, or bet on the fact that happy times are to come. We don't know what's in the future. Mm -hmm. All we can do is say, from a perspective of what we've already experienced, our happiest days are in the past. And it reminded me of, I think, a little um, exercise that you did on our show once, mm -hmm. where you talked about recalling moments, uh, you know, somebody that you may have been very fond of or someone that you care very much about. Happy times and how we can bring that back into our current mindset and really replicate those feelings of happiness. So I wanted you to comment on that using, mm -hmm. of course, heart-focused. Yeah, and uh, a lot of our techniques, we have a, we use what's called associative memory to help trigger those positive emotional states. And then the step might be, you know, uh, now activate a, a positive emotional state, maybe just recall a time when you felt good inside and try to re-experience it. Mm -hmm. Now, that helps a lot of people because they can't just instantaneously go to that place inside where, hey, life's great and I feel appreciative because there's just too much going on for them, too many yeah. challenges. But where I would disagree with this man, and I don't know him, so I'm not really disagreeing, mm. but is I believe our happiest times are in front of us. Mm. I think mm. that we're evolving as human beings. We're evolving as, a, as humanity's evolving, society's evolving, and that we are moving into some new experiences unlike we've ever had before. And that those times are, are here now, actually, and they will be increasing. It becomes a matter of choice over time of which side of the fence we choose to identify with. Agreed. Do we stay on the downward spiral? Do we identify with the, with the chaos we see, let's say, in politics or global change or the wars? Or do we take a more hopeful, open-ended perspective? Mm -hmm. And do we use our own intelligence to find our own balance and perception about those things? And do we do what we can in a balanced way to try to improve the well-being of others? And I think many people are moving there. You know, they're not bought in as much or as deep. Do you get that sense, really? I do. I also see both sides. I see a lot of very intelligent, very aware, very loving people that are extremely concerned mm -hmm. about some of the events that they see taking place in the world. And uh, but that, you see many people that are that are saying, well, "But wait a minute, you know, my responsibility is not t to add to that." Right. My responsibility is to find my own peace with that, to go through my own transformative process. And when people do that, in doing that, that's one of the greatest services we give to humanity. That's what we make it easier for others. Mm -hmm. You know, we all live in this field of energy called consciousness that's reflecting back to us. Not what we think up here, but what we feel right here. Absolutely. And that field is changing, too. Yes. We're, there's new information or new... I guess you could call it information in that field that's now available to us. And as we imprint that field by making our own changes, we're adding to that. We're making it more available to everybody. So if I turn around a bad attitude one day, if I'm upset about something, but I stop in the moment and go, wait a minute, little dude, you know, this is not, you know, where you need to be hanging right now. You can change this if you want to. And I do. Uh, my belief is, is I've served in some way that some person someplace else in the world or other people in the world, some working mother that's struggling to make ends meet, mm -hmm. who's trying to maintain a good attitude but having, is having a hard day, maybe she's accessing a piece of that somehow. I love it. This making it. her life a little bit better. Right. Uh, so I believe it's, a, it's, it's, it's something we need to do for ourselves, but it's also a high form of service. Loaded subject. I, I'm chomping at the bit. We're talking about, I think, something that is, is known as the butterfly, butterfly effect, among other things, where an action that one takes in one area can have an effect halfway around the world. I do agree with that. We're also talking about coherence, and this mm -hmm. is a perfect segue to get into something you know a little bit about, and that is coherence 
using the heart. I want to talk about that, and I want to talk about how changing a shift in attitude is a change of heart. Give it to me. A change of heart changes everything. Changes everything, and it does not just in our bodies, of course, in our bodies and in ourselves, but in the field around us, which interpenetrates other people's fields. Let's talk about that. Let's yeah. get into the electromagnetics of oh, okay. this. Even well, coherence is a term that's been used <laughs> a long time. I'm just saying, in general, like that was a coherent conversation, you know. But what our scientists did is take it to a different level. And there was a. a psychological and physiological state identified not only by our scientists but by others when all the body systems are working together harmoniously and it's triggered by and accompanied by the experience of a sustained positive emotion mm-hmm. and that's called psycho physiological coherence mm-hmm. I'll shorten it to coherence <laughs> yeah right <laughs> Easier to say so coherence is really this highly ordered state that we sometimes end up in and what's interesting about it is it's a heart triggered state is when the heart rhythms are, are operating in this smooth orderly pattern, it's sending signals throughout the body that influence biological function, especially the brain. And the brain begins to operate differently when the system is in this coherent state. Sure. And in that state, that's where it gets easier to make emotional choices that are sure. beneficial, easier to um, experience more positive emotions. Mm-hmm. Now. One of the ways the coherence can be looked at and one of the ways it's transmitted is not just in, internally in our own bodies, but energetically. The heart, you see, is an electrical organ in and of itself, the strongest source of bioelectricity in our bodies. Mm-hmm. And that creates an electromagnetic field that extends around every one of us, 360 degrees, and goes out into space about three feet, about that far. Mm-hmm. You and I are interfacing electromagnetically together right now. Absolutely. And that field changes all the time. In other words, the frequencies, the radio stations being broadcast in the field, change all the time depending upon our emotions. If we want to feel upset and frustrated about, I don't know, political situation or whatever, go ahead, and that creates a discordant electromagnetic field. If we want to appreciate life, if we want to make peace with life, if we want to like think about the well-being of others, not just ourselves, those kind of, of, of feelings, it produces a more coherent field. Right. And so we learn to measure these fields. Now, where HeartMath research is going now, we've done for 20-some years now this understanding of the biological side of it and also the, the basic energetics. But now we're into social coherence research. What happens when social. people are together, large groups of people? What happens when there's certain kinds of interactions that are happening between people? What's going on physiologically? How does one person's coherence affect another? How do we create global coherence mm-hmm. through collectively uh, activating more people just to, to experience positive emotional states? These are the, are the interesting questions that we are rigorously researching today. And um, one of the things that I wanted to talk about with you today, something that you weren't—we didn't set this up. This wasn't pre-planned. Bring it it's on. like we're having a conversation here, and hopefully, people are enjoying it and getting something out of it. But you know, to me, what's happening in the world right now, and I don't ignore the problems. And I see as clearly, I think, as most people do, into those situations and problems. But I also see something extraordinary happening. There's a momentum taking place in the world right now. It's a momentum of adding heart to everything people do, whether they call it that or not. People are generating more kindness. They're generating more cooperation. They are desiring more cooperation rather than separation. The intuitional 
qualities associated with horror are on the increase. Uh -huh. Innovative solutions to problems are showing up. There are amazing people out there doing amazing things to help solve things like hunger issues and global change issues and uh -huh. housing issues and just an amazing, it goes on and on and on with the things that people are doing. And it's more in alignment with what the values and qualities of the heart are. So there's this big momentum that's taking place. It's actually almost turning into a movement mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that's associated with things like, why is there a positive psychology conference? Right. Why did I speak a couple of weeks ago at a really big conference in Florida on, called the, the, the World Happiness Summit? Summit. Yeah, know, so where are these things it. coming from? You know, why are they showing up in the midst of all this downward spiral that people tend to identify with? To me, it's all about heart. Yeah. And it's a momentum going on that's, that's spiraling the other direction. Yeah. And yeah. that's what I'm about today is recognizing that and doing even more than I have in the past to, to add to that momentum and to uh, see it benefit people. Yeah. I think you're doing great work and I agree with you 100% in terms of the impetus for why people are diving in because I, I would agree with you. I do. I, again, I, I still see us, Howard, in this sort of dichotomous situation where we're seeing the ugliest of ugly and the most altruistic of of any time in history you can imagine, mm -hmm. um, and I don't want to think of it as a collision, although on some levels it may be, but, you know, I, I thinking of the, the entire picture of what we're dealing with on this planet right now, the good, the bad, the ugly, everything in between, that even the ugly may be driving people back to the core yeah. of what they really are, and that is of the heart and of love. So in a, in a sort of odd sort of way, the ugly is pushing people more toward wanting the, the, the beautiful. Is. Yeah, so. You know, well, this I, this yeah. has been said before, and it's not an original statement, but it's become even more true for me today, is there's, there's so much that I don't know. One yeah. of the things that I know is how much I don't know. Agreed, me too. And it's like, you know, there's a bigger plan and picture going on here, yes, you know, in the midst of the chaos and confusion, there's something else that's going on, and I can't see all that all the time. I mean, I can't see the bigger view all the time. Yeah. And so I get tripped like anybody else on different aspects of what takes place in the world, and my emotions become identified with that and it's, it's, there's times it's okay it's part of being human it's I don't judge myself for it but I also try to maintain a certain inner, inner vibratory rate where I'm operating a little above that where I'm you know able to see it and feel it and be compassionate towards it but maintain a certain spiraling up distance from it as mm -hmm. well so you're right stress in and of itself drives people to make change mm -hmm. but what I see happening in our future and I don't mean tomorrow but I don't mean forever away either, is this, is we won't have to go through the no pain, no gain process to grow. That's an old paradigm. It sure is. You know, we should yeah. not have to suffer first in order to get our growth next. Yeah. But that's not where things are today. So the stress and strain of life eventually forces people back to their heart. When we are confronted with challenges, maybe it's cumulative challenges over time or a specific challenge, but when we hit those places a lot of times, the normal, logical, linear processes that we use to solve problems cannot solve them. Right. Agreed. And yeah. when we hit that place, what happens? We usually try to dig a little deeper into something inside ourselves, something we don't even truly understand. That's when we will finally surrender enough mm -hmm. to pray or to meditate. Or we take a walk and we go off into the woods or by the beach or something and we just want to know. Mm -hmm. What, mm -hmm. what can you do? And we reach a certain point of inner humility, and that's hard. 
And when we go there, that's when we when things sometimes begin to shift. Yeah, that's agreed. when we begin to see the open-ended views or maybe more creative ways to deal with the situation. And to me, that's all about the same momentum that's happening. And more people are being pushed there through the stress and strain of life. Um, we are going through so much change right now that it's impossible for us to keep up with it biologically, genetically, evolutionarily. It just doesn't work the same now. Yeah. And it's like, you know, the, the evolution through the normal processes of the evolution of, 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 of us and of any living system takes thousands of years, and we don't have thousands of years to deal with what's in front of our face right now. Mm-hmm. So we're evolving in a different way. We're evolving on the inside many ways. We're evolving in consciousness. Mm-hmm. And those consciousness changes give us the greatest hope we have for uh, experiencing this new and different world. And I think their world exists, and I think it's coming. So, yeah, uh, I can't ignore challenges. I'll talk about it tonight in my talk some. Yeah, it can't be avoided. It can't be avoided. I'd be rather remiss to, in insincere yeah. to, to paint only the blue sky picture. And I think, frankly, look, I think, again, this is the challenges are so intense right now that this is what is driving many people to their wits end to, to again, do an about-face and, and show up to events like this. So certainly we cannot, uh, we cannot ignore the challenges, but implicit, in, as I have said many times, I'll, it, stands, it bears repeating, the magic lives within the madness, meaning mm-hmm. that the be- there is beauty implicit within the challenge if we leverage it properly. So Yeah. I agree. Um, yeah. Well, we're going to talk more about happiness and challenge and bliss <laughs> and heart intelligence. We're going to take a quick break and we will be right back. Join the HeartMath Institute and the Global Coherence Initiative for Activating the Global Heart, Facilitating the Planetary Awakening, November 1st through the 5th, 2017, at the beautiful Riviera Maya on the Yucatan Peninsula in Mexico. This will be a transformative retreat like no other where you will get to experience reconnection, renewal, and uncover the next steps in your purpose and mission. Your event hosts, HeartMath's Roland McCready, Howard Martin, and Deborah Rosman, all experts in the field of heart intelligence, will personally guide you on this incredible journey. At this, our sixth annual Mexican retreat, you will learn heart awakening techniques for raising the baseline of your spiritual awareness, demystify intuition, Increase and maintain emotional composure during times of chaos and tension, in addition to many more life-changing heart-based techniques that will advance your empowerment and bring much greater clarity, purpose, and fulfillment to your life. To learn more about this unique event and to register, be sure to visit heartmath.org and click on the Activating the Global Heart link. But hurry, space is limited. We look forward to seeing you in Mexico, November 1st through the 5th, for activating the global heart, facilitating the planetary awakening. Okay, let's pick up where we left off. Sure. And, you know, we were talking. We, we were talking a little bit offline about a bunch of things. We're going to yeah, we we're going to bring up some, some <laughs> juicy stuff. But I, I'm I'm also chomping at the bit, Howard, because you have a lot to say about the role that the heart plays in our intuitive capabilities, and I want to get into that because as we, you know, we, we left off talking about 
the, the speed of stuff happening these days and how people are responding to it and how we can really kind of use that in our favor as we evolve as human beings. But with that comes, I think, our, our abilities are also going to have to get up to speed, mm-hmm. not the least of which is our intuitive abilities. Yep. How, what role does a heart play? I know it's a loaded question, but I, let's get into that a little bit. Well, it's, it plays a big role. I mean, uh, this isn't a shameless you know, book sale ploy, but the book we came out with a year ago is called Heart Intelligence, Connecting with the Intuitive Guidance of Your Heart, a book that I wrote with Dr. Schroeder and a couple of other heart math people. So it, it, there's a direct connection. You know, it's when we are in touch with those type of emotional qualities and our systems become more coherent that we have the ability to access a different field of information. Think about intuition as always being there, you know, but it's like whether we're tuning into those radio stations or not. Mm -hmm. So we've looked at intuition from a scientific and research perspective. We know there's different sort of views and kinds of intuition. To me, it's sort of one kind is a direct knowingness is when we feel something. It's really more of a feeling and a thought if you think about it. It's like this feels right, this doesn't feel right. And it comes in quick. It doesn't go through all the sort of the checkpoints, the back and forth uh, analysis to reach that feeling, it just happens. And we get a sense of it. That's intuition. There's uh, energetic sensitivity intuition. When we feel like someone's staring at us and we turn around and they are. You know what I mean? It's like we're sensing things in our environment. And then there's even non-local intuition where we sense events that go beyond time and space. Things Uh that are happening someplace else in in the world. A typical example is the mother who's away on a business trip who senses something's really wrong with a child she picks up the phone and the babysitter goes in and finds out the child's having a physical problem and saves her life you know th- those kind of stories happen all the time all the time how are we picking that up so we know that this all happens i think the main thing for us to understand about intuition now is t- that it's not always mystical that it's practical that it exists and it's available to us in very pragmatic and practical ways uh, we call that in heart math in our training programs practical intuition uh, how do you take intuition and you make it something that's useful? It doesn't always have to be the grandiose experience mm-hmm. or the invention that we come up with or some non-local experience that we have. It gets down to if we stay balanced within ourselves, if we're operating more from a coherent state, we're sort of carrying ourselves generally, genuinely with just normal heart-based emotions like we're being kinder to each other or we're not as prone to being upset or frustrated that day. Mm-hmm. What that does is that sets us up to receive new information. And it's sort of a sensitivity that comes naturally to us. And that sensitivity plays itself out in very pragmatic ways that we may not even notice. Like, for instance, a conversation or a communication. When you're really on your game, when you're really accessing your intuition, you know proper timing That's right. about what type of subjects need to be discussed or not. That's right. You also know choice of words. You know into way in, in, how your voice sounds and when you present something that could be sensitive. All that stuff goes into a flow. And that's intuition. That's practical intuition. That's practical right? intuition. Absolutely. That's right. Yeah. Another one I've come to understand is hiring people. Mm-hmm. You know, here in the United States, I know many of your listeners may be in other parts of the world, but here in the United States, there are some really serious laws about what can be asked in a job interview. Mm-hmm. And they make no sense to me in a certain way, but I had to adhere to them when I was uh, trained by our HR people to do it this way. Right. So I can't ask someone who's going to work for HeartMath, I can't ask them if they're married. I can't ask them if they have children. I can't ask them uh, if they have any health issues. I can't ask them, much less all that, I can't ask them, are there any personal problems going on in your life that could affect your job? (laughs) 
I can't ask them any of those questions. Once upon a time, you could, right? You can't now. Wow. All I can ask them is what's on their resume. I can ask them generic questions like, tell me about a time in your last job that was challenging and how you solved that problem. Right. I can look at the resumes. And so you're looking at resumes, you're meeting people, and you're looking at educational backgrounds, job experience backgrounds that would be equal in a certain way. And then you have to decide which person is going to really be best for a culture. Are they going to enjoy it here? Are they going to thrive here? Are the other people who work here going to get along with them well? And what do you call that shot? Right. What's it, what, what are you basing that on? It's finally an intuitional feeling that you have. I was going to say, where would intuition come to play in that because you're so restricted? Boing. What if the, okay, so here's, here's a question. Not playing devil's advocate, but just, you know, because there's such a uh, narrow range of questions that you can now ask yeah. an individual. And let's say, as an interviewer, as an example, you have this really strong feeling that you need to be asking something that you know is yeah. off limits, even though it, 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 it would be a, an otherwise proper question to ask. What would you do? Using it and still sticking with the intuitive you just, prompts. I would, I, what I have done, to be honest with you, is I've said something's not right here and this is not the person. Because okay. I know if I'm having to ask that question, there's a reason I'm having to ask it. Hmm. You know, if I'm sensing something might not be right there in this situation. And maybe I'm right, maybe I'm not. Intuition is not 100%. always 100%. Yeah. But right. you learn to cultivate it and refine it. Now, let me go back and say something I said earlier. Yeah. It's really something that's already there. Like part of the evolution of the respire we were talking about earlier, about mm -hmm. all this newness that's coming into the world, is that the intuitional field of information is drawing closer to us. Absolutely. It's more available now than ever before. To get there, you have to do a few things. You have to learn how to, at times, slow down the vibratory rate of the mind and emotions. There's a stillness inside still place inside that we can get to at times and even for short amount of time moments in the day begins to sort of open us up to intuition that then shows up and sort of filters down into pragmatic applications and sure there can be experiential uh, moments in life when intuition is you know more grandiose but it's really how to use intuition as a guidance system mm -hmm. for making the choices big and small that we need to make in the course of modern living but if you slow down a little bit go at it from the heart, tune into that field a little, then you find that you begin to cultivate mm -hmm. more of a relationship to your intuitional intelligence. You, you said something earlier, even just now, in, in terms of the, the emotional, the, the role that emotion plays and sort of being in a neutral state. So you don't want to be overly anxious, or obviously not anxious, that's not even the word, but overly emotional, that you, there's yeah. sort of a median that you find. Yep that you're able to maintain and it's there that becomes the fertile ground uh, perhaps for more intuitive type yep. of experiences as well as synchronicity. Mm -hmm. Okay, interesting. Because I think you and I have talked about emotion before and the role that it plays in terms of intense emotion also being at times, depending on what we're looking for, what happens, a trigger for um, non-local experiences as well. So yeah, sort of, but you know, when you talk about intuition, it's a sensitive frequency you're trying to tag into. Right. Nobody's going to be that intuitive when they're mad. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Let's just get it down. You're angry, you're upset. Intuition right. is probably not going right. to be really, really. You might have other, other worldly experiences. Thing but, happening, but it's not going to be a, a, a true, refined, intuitional yeah. perspective on things. It requires an inner, delicate balance inside ourselves. But it's there. Yeah. I mean, people are more intuitive than they realize already. Absolutely. You know, you know when I think about things like, I'm not a parent, but when I watch people parent, 
Yeah. And I'm watching how they're working with the, their young children and all the things they have to sense all the time about that child and what they need and what they're trying to say and what the next step for them should be. And on and on it goes. Yeah. And I'm watching this thing go on with, with, with parents and children. I'm going, that's seriously intuitive. Yeah. But they won't see it that way. They just see it as parenting. Right. But there's an so intuitional connection. They don't even realize it. Yeah. So people naturally can be more intuitive once they recognize that it's not a big deal and that they can make it practical in their life. And so anybody listening right now would just say, look, you've already got this in you. Just ease off a little bit on all the, the, the grind and the push and trying to figure and everything out and let it come to you a little bit more naturally. Tune into that frequency a little bit, and you'll find intuition is there more than you ever realized. I am hearing more and more, Howard, from people from th that I know through my, my program, people on the street, even friends, family, instances of synchronicity as well as intuitive experiences mm -hmm. are exponential right now. I've posed this question to several of my guests and I'd love to get your thoughts on this. There is something that's happening and you have really uh, sort of put this in, in, in a number of ways. Mm -hmm. that there is a shift that we are still sort of in the arc of but implicit of that shift are these sorts of things that I, I have said perhaps there's a veil um, we can call it that if we like, that may be thinning between us in the physical world and everything else. And we're going to touch on that everything else and, and, and how it may be interacting mm -hmm. with us. But uh, not the least of which are instances of increased synchronicity and intuitive um, capacity, let's just say. Are you hearing that as well? Excuse mm, me. Not so much. I mean, I think... I think that all happens to people now. There's a lot of experiences available that are gifts from spirit to really help us see our way through to the next level and the, and the little sparkly events that happen in life that are really gifts. But uh, for me, I think that, and for most people, is when, I'm, when there's inner synchronicity going on in me, Mm -hmm. Then external synchronicity has a chance to show sure. up more, it's and that's fun. And do things, do fun things, do happen. Mm -hmm. And when they happen to me, I try not to over-identify with them. I try not to make them a real big deal. Why? Wow, I'm trying to ground them. I'm trying to bring them into being part of a natural flow rather mm -hmm. than whoa, look at this. You know, mm -hmm. it's like let it be more natural that these things sometimes just happen and do occur. Right. And they and I see it in my own life. And yet, yeah, now that you mentioned it, I haven't really thought about it. I see it happening in the lives of others more. More. Yeah, yes. That's more what I'm so. trying to get yeah. you to say. Yeah. I'm convinced that there's something going on. We're it's more yeah, moving. Yeah. We're never stagnant. So and that's a beautiful thing. I think you we know, can really a, harness that. There's a flow to this whole thing that, you know, is elusive. Yeah. You know, my tour talk last year was dancing with the rhythm of life. Yeah, and it was all about, you know, there's always these rhythms going on, constant mm -hmm. rhythms and flows and changes that are happening. And some are external and some are internal. And learning how to access uh, a relationship to them is, gives us the ability to navigate life and experience life very differently by sort of dancing with the various rhythms and flows that occur. I love that. Yeah. And within those flows, there's the synchronicities that happen. There's the conveniences that happen. Uh, there's, it looks like it's going to be going one way and all of a sudden it shifts to another. You mm -hmm. know, and it's like there's ways of doing that. Um, maybe a mini example, certainly not a dramatic one. It was like yesterday, I'm flying over here, and, and I knew before I left on the trip that there was a possibility of flight delays in San Francisco. I had to fly from San Francisco to Washington, Dulles, then catch a plane from Washington, Dulles to Hartford, Connecticut, with an hour layover in Washington. And I already knew going in that there was a potential of flight delays because of runway repairs. 
in San Francisco. And so I researched and recognized if I don't make the connection, I'm going to be stuck with a five-hour layover in Washington that's going to put me into Hartford at about midnight Mm -hmm. and then come all the way out here to Massachusetts. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it's going to be a tough situation. So I'm standing in line at the airport, and they're boarding the plane, boarding it. I'm in boarding group two, and they're, they're, they're loading boarding group one. And right in the middle of loading boarding group one, they said, we're going to have to stop the boarding process. Sorry. Um, we just got word there's weather problems in Dulles, and we don't know how long the flight's going to be delayed. So it wasn't even the original problem. <laughs> it, it wasn't, wasn't the runway repair. You, okay. And they stopped it while we were loading the plane. Where did you get the runway repair thing from? Had You re- you said you researched that? No. Uh, or was that intuition? <laughs> the travel agency sent it to me and said this possible flight delays because of runway repairs. Ah, okay. I didn't know whether but, you would intuited that. So I thought, that. well, we got past this. I'm already convinced. I'm already feeling like, okay, well, there was some problem. We're loading the plane now. And all of a sudden, right in the middle of loading. So I went, right in that moment, I have a choice, right? Uh-huh. I can either say, okay, there's a rhythm and flow going on here. I either stay with that flow and that rhythm, or I start running around, scuffling, trying to figure out how to rebook flights. Plus, I don't even know how long this delay is. Right. You know, so I stay with, I can't really do a lot about this. Make peace with it. Uh-huh. So I got on a plane. We flew over here, and we landed. And I got a, you know, we landed, and I got a, a text from the driver picking me up. Going, it's obvious that you're not going to make your connection. Blah blah blah. Let me know when you've got, you know, your flight figured out to Hartford, and we'll try to figure out another plan and all that stuff. So I get off the plane with that going on in consciousness, and as I'm getting off the plane. There's a person at the at the end of the thing that says, if any of you are on a flight to Hartford, you know, your connection immediately to gate D4, which was only a few gates down, and turned out that that plane had also been delayed because the crew was late. And they put us on that plane, and I flew here. Now, that's got a flow to it. Yes, it does. And it's got some synchronicity in it. Yes, it does. But here's the coolest part about that. I could have either stressed about that all the way on that five-and-a-half-hour flight, or I could have just said, whatever happens in Washington happens. I'll get to Massachusetts when I get to Massachusetts, so it'll all be cool. And that's the, that's the road I chose to take. So I didn't sit there thinking about that, worrying about that the whole time. Uh, and it worked out. I have a question. I have a question. I often wonder, Howard, when we do these things, when we make a conscious decision to make peace with a projected outcome that in the process of making peace that we are emotionally resonating and perhaps shifting the outcome could it be this is just a question yeah. that the fact that you decided to make peace with it rather than struggling with it that you actually primed the best possible outcome to take place could we be doing that yeah i think it's quite possible that we are you know and the way i look at it is that would be an extra benefit the first and primary benefit would be that, you know, I'm not allowing it to, uh, to spoil my flow. So, you know, you got that covered. You got that covered. And if it <laughs> creates some other outcome, that's great. But I don't even count on that. If I go into the situation thinking, yeah, if I do this, it's going to set up a whole other, you know, uh, rhythm that could work out in my favor. If I'm not careful and I'm not playing a real tight game on exactly what I'm feeling inside, then I could be setting myself up for disappointment. Mm. Because all it takes is a few of those, and then you start distrusting intuition. Mm-hmm. Well, I trusted my intuition, and I knew it, and it didn't work out that way. You know? And so it's a delicate balance in there of, of having the fun expectancy mm-hmm. and the maturity not to over-expect. Mm-hmm. That way you don't set yourself up for any disappointment mm-hmm. about Hey, it went the other way. Because look, I, I could be on the next flight I have to take. It could turn sideways. 
you know what I mean, could go into God knows what, you know what I mean, and I have to be able to make peace in any of those situations, whichever way it goes. You have always been so wonderful and so articulate. Every time we speak, you bring out the making peace with something. Mm-hmm. This it, It's clear to me that this is an integral part of you. When did this all happen? I'm going to switch gears just for a minute. I don't know how much time we have left, but mm-hmm. I want to get into this because I'm, re- I'm really, I'm always touched by this. And I know mm-hmm. that everybody that loves you is as well, that there is, there's a steadiness and a conviction about you and the heart. And I think I remember you saying something like, uh, once upon a time, you said, I've, I've learned to, my heart is my confidant, my best friend. Mm-hmm. You have a relationship with it. Yeah. And I think this is what's driving every time I talk to you. The, this is the cornerstone of, of your life, really. Uh, making peace with and carrying it sort of a neutral um, attitude about things. And great things happen. When did this all happen for you? And I know that that's know. a loaded question, well, too. Let me too, say, the making peace thing for stars is an ongoing process. There's course. no end to it. It, it, yeah. it. There's different levels and layers of that for me as well about what I can make peace with and where things are more challenging in that regard. I don't know. I mean... This has been a long time for me in my life, so it's difficult to, to I mean, I'm pretty good with memory, so I can go back and remember lots of events and lots of things. Mm-hmm. Just, you, know, you can drive me crazy at times, it's that much of a memory. But at certain points, I don't know why or where or how it actually happened. You know, it was just following that flow inside. Following you know, that flow. When I was young, I got, uh, I got interested in it for some reason. It was almost like there was some kind of an unfolding that happened to me. Mm-hmm. It wasn't this blinding flash of light and, you know, no great being from another system entered my bedroom and gave me directions. But it was an inner feeling that there was something really cool about, you know, personal and spiritual growth, you know, that, that needed to be looked at. Yeah. And, uh, so I got onto it early, and I just followed the flow along the way. And fortunately, I had help. I had my friends. I had Doc Shorty, the founder of HeartMath. I had people around me that were able to keep me moving in the right direction. Because there was times when I really didn't want to. Mm-hmm. Really times when I, I wanted to go a that. different way in my life. You know, when it's just too damn hard. You know, it was like it wasn't enough reward based. In my perception, wasn't it wasn't as rewarding as it should be? That consciousness was overrated. You know, <laughs> that, you know it, consciousness led to the need to do more. Consciousness is overrated after you know, Consciousness lead, led you to a place where you needed to do more to have more consciousness. Et cetera. Etc. And that those perceptions can still come up for me at times. Uh, but overall, when I look back at life, and I have to say, you know, uh, something worked out because I have a lot to be thankful for. Mm. I would say my, you do. Yeah. You do. I think you lead you lead a charmed life. Not certainly not a perfect one, but I, every time yeah. I talk to you, there's so much going on, and and I know you infuse so much energy and heart math, and I know that mm-hmm. it's a reciprocal relationship. You're. I know that you're uh, connected to the hip with heart math, and yeah. and I think it's just a beautiful thing. How long you've been there since 1991, right? Yeah. it's a long time. 1991, yes. Yeah, so He's doing something right. Since the door first opened, and you know, in that time, it was just a, uh, you know, us, Doc and us with the belief that we were going to put together something, uh-huh. something, yeah, that was going to be uh, give us the ability to share what we've been developing in ourselves and what we would develop in ourselves in the future, and it was based upon care and care for people. And we followed the flow, mm-hmm. uh, but we didn't have a definitive plan and all laid out in the future and all that. And you know what they said. I never planning. would have imagined that you know I'd be here with you today, or 
be speaking at some positive psychology conference. I mean, when they called me up and asked me to speak, I, I asked them, did they have the right guy? You know, because there's a bunch of <laughs> academians here and all this stuff that are going to be speaking, and they basically hired a hillbilly with an expanded vocabulary, you know. <laughs> so, but, you know. Humble, too. Love it. I love it. Love it. Listen, we're running out of time, but I want to I want to bring the audience in on a little conversation that we were having offline, and Howard said, I want you to bring this up. And I'm, I am... Again, chomping at the bit to see what you're going to say. You know, you happen to mention a, it's not like a great being entered the room, but I thought that would be the perfect segue to say, yeah. what if a great being did enter the room? You know, a lot of the folks uh, mm -hmm. uh, that, that follow Higher Journeys know that uh, one of the subjects that we cover in excess is the subject of non-human intelligence mm -hmm. and the role that it just may be playing in our own lives, maybe even increasingly. I do cover this subject uh, with great frequency and with great seriousness and mm -hmm. you and I were talking about that let's talk about that for a minute this okay. is not the Howard Martin you're used to seeing folks so I want to hear That's what right. he's got to say <laughs> about that whole world because I think it's a big thing what do you think well non-human intelligence exists uh, there's a lot of it around um, it's facilitating people through the changes and challenging times that we're going through People are having more experiences with it, and I believe that their experiences are definitely real and they're certainly tangible. I think it will become more so that way, but here's what's controlling it. What's controlling it are the choices that we are making as a global society. In other words, whatever's there that can facilitate us can only move past a certain point based upon a frequency match or vibratory match with the world and humanity itself. So it's the little efforts that we that we each and every one of us do that's setting the tone for that. It's allowing for more of that to actually happen. So it's the acts of kindness that we put out moment to moment, mm. day to day. It's the inner attitude shifts that we make. It's finding peace at the airport when the flight's going to go sideways, whatever other people do. All those things are setting up the tone and the vibratory rate for more to happen. More experiences, you're more saying. More experiences to happen. Okay. There used to be a lot more going on around that, people reporting that even before. If you go back in the 80s and 90s, and you trace it even further back into some of the 1930s teachings and all that, when those experiences were happening, people were writing about them and stuff. Yeah. All that was happening. My feeling is, is it got to a certain point where as much as could be done as could be done at that point, and what was required next is for the people to do it themselves for humanity to take its next steps mm -hmm. and to begin to change their way that they were functioning and operating in a different set of principles and values. My feeling is that humanity's been doing a lot of that. Yeah. That we are moving into the next level of facilitation and help. And that whatever people are experiencing today, things that you're reporting on, are just little examples and sneak previews and windows into what's potentially in our future. Love it. But that the responsibility falls back on us. Absolutely. And that we set the field and we set the tune, and then whatever's out there that can come in here and help us will be able to show up. But they can't come in to uh, just past a certain point until we, the human race, does this next level of work. And my feeling is, is heart to heart, you to you, and me to the listeners, is that we are on the right, right track. We're on the move. Love it. You know, and it's gonna, and more of that's gonna happen as we continue to follow that flow and that trail. Always words of wisdom from you, Howard Martin. Thank you, dear. Always. <laughs> and I'm going to let him go because he's going to be imparting many words of wisdom uh, in the talk that he's about to give. 
and I know people yeah. are anxiously awaiting to hear what you have to say. We love Thank you. Thank you, sweetheart. Thank you so much. Okay. And I can't wait to have you back again. All this right, is, I enough. think, number three or four for us. There's some cool things that happen at HeartMath. Uh, you go to the HeartMath website, check it out, heartmath.com.org. i got a new program I'm launching called Ad Heart Facilitator, where for really low cost and an efficient way of doing it, you can actually learn heart math and officially go out in the world and share it. Well, we will mm -hmm. definitely have links to that, as we cool. always do. And I want to remind everyone, please go back and look at some of the interviews that we've done with Howard in the past. Always wonderful to go over, take copious notes, and most importantly, live from the heart. Thanks so much, everyone. Bye-bye, everybody. Take care. Howard was clear. We are navigating some of the most unprecedented challenges of our time, but we have the power to, as he said, self-generate our own well-being. Movements like positive psychology and the incredible success of the World Happiness Summit are evidence toward the fact that now more than ever, many people are ready and willing to look beyond the veil of uncertainty and instability and take personal well-being into their own hands. I hope you found this talk with Howard Martin enlightening and uplifting for your own journey to happiness. And as always, I thank you for joining me on this journey. Until next time, I'm your host, Alexis Brooks.